0: Hello, everybody. Just before we get started today, I'd like to let you know that today's episode is in two parts. You can listen to part two in the next episode of the podcast.
1: The following Future Conceived podcast is sponsored by the Virtual Education Committee of the Society for the Study of Reproduction with the mission to develop virtual programs that will aid in the education, highlighting the careers of society members, bringing technology updates, and the latest scientific advancements in reproductive biology. Thank you for listening.
2: Hello,
0: and welcome to another episode of the SSR Future Conceived podcast. My name is Jane Fenelon, and I'm a research fellow at the University of Melbourne in Australia. For today's episode, we'll be delving into the first in our series on breakthroughs in reproductive technologies. Along with me today is Jean McGlore-Fugang, who is a research associate professor at Mississippi State University. Hello, Jean.
1: Hello, Jane. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about the breakthrough that is assisted reproductive technology, also known as ARTs. Today, to better understand a little bit about the digital technology, we have here with us Dr. Peter Hansen from the University of Florida. Welcome, Professor Hansen.
3: Hey, thank you very much. I'm excited to be doing this. For
1: for everyone out there that doesn't know you, could you give us a little introduction about who you are your research interests and why you decided to become a reproductive biologist.
3: Yeah, I'm a professor at the Department of Animal Sciences at the University of Florida. I've been at Florida since 1983. I came as a postdoc in biochemistry with Mike Roberts and then uh, took a faculty position a year and a half later and I've been there ever since. I'm originally from Illinois Did my undergrad work at University of Illinois and did my PhD at the University of Wisconsin in uh, beef cattle reproduction. So I've been studying reproduction, you know, for a long time. I got interested in it as a child, actually. My mother was from Ireland. We used to go visit my relatives uh, on some summers when I was a boy and I loved living on the farm and I was always fascinated by the reproduction going on at the farm. So I knew from the time I was a boy, I always liked science and I, I loved uh, livestock and I knew I wanted to combine them. So I thought I'd be a veterinarian. And then I became an animal science major because that's how you become a veterinarian. And my first week as an undergrad at University of Illinois, I took Animal Science 101. And the first little module we had was taught by Phil Schuck, who founded SSR. And it was on reproduction. And I was just like blown away. I didn't know anybody actually, you know, studied this for a living. I didn't know anybody studied uh, science for a living, actually. But uh, so that's, I mean, that changed my life.
0: So to get us started on our topic for today, can you first define for us what we mean when we say ART?
3: Yeah, I guess there's two ways you could define it. Probably broadly, which is correct, is any clinical or technical intervention in the reproductive process, either for animals or for human beings. So things like artificial insemination or using hormones to regulate the ester cycle, those would be assisted reproduction, broadly defined. But I think most people, when they say ART, mean gamete and embryo technologies, and especially production of embryos in vitro.
1: I see. So based on that, can you tell us a little bit about the first ARTs to be used in agricultural industry?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at the history of embryo transfer in in mammals, it started in 1890 when uh, Walter Heap, who was a graduate of Cambridge and later went on to work at Cambridge, he was probably living at his parents' farm in Plymouth, England, and he started doing embryo transfer in rabbits, and he was the first scientist uh, to conduct embryo transfer. Then he went on to have a position at uh, Cambridge. And of course, Cambridge was one of the early centers of research in assisted reproduction in males, artificial insemination, and also embryo technologies. And you know, at the same time, there was interest in the United States And if I had to name one person who probably drove the development of the modern assisted reproductive technologies, it's uh, Gregory Pincus. He was at Yale back in the 1930s and he performed the first in vitro fertilization of a mammal in the rabbit. And he eventually lost his position at Yale. It was really controversial at the time. Uh, people thought he was like Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, in fact, Look Magazine had an article about him who said he was the modern Dr. Frankenstein. So he went on to found the Worcester Foundation for Experimental Biology in Massachusetts. And he worked with a man named uh, John Rock at Harvard and started uh, developing uh, artificial or I should say in vitro fertilization techniques in the human. And in 44, Rock fertilized a human egg, following some of the same things that Pincus had done earlier in the rabbit. So Rock, who was a good Catholic physician, was kind of startled by what he did and stopped the research. But Pincus continued to promote embryo technologies in animals as well as in uh, humans. He worked with the group at Cambridge and other scientists around the world. They set up a uh, private foundation in San Antonio, Texas in the 1940s to try to do embryo transfer in cattle. So there's always been this interaction between the human world and the animal production world when it comes to embryo technologies. When Steptoe and Edward started the IVF program that led to the first human IVF baby, one of the first things they did was go to Rock and ask him what he had done back in the 40s. I think the first embryo transfer in farm animals was in the early 30s by a guy named Barry. And the first embryo transfer in cattle was in the early 1950s by a guy named Ellen uh, Willett, who nobody knows, because he died of uh, cancer in his 30s, uh, but he actually produced the first uh, live calf from embryo transfer, working with the organization that I, I think eventually became ABS. And, you know, initially, embryo transfer was all done surgically it was very difficult. And so there was about a 20-year period when people in livestock, especially in cattle, we're trying to develop uh, non-surgical techniques for recovering embryos and uh, transferring embryos. And that was kind of worked out in the 60s and 70s. And at the same time, Steptoe and Edwards and others were working on in vitro fertilization in humans. And Ben Brackett at the University of Georgia was the first one to do IVF in uh, cattle and produce a uh, live offspring. So I think Luis Brown was 78 or something like that. And mm-hmm. the first calf was 82 or 81. Paper was published in 82. So um, after that, you know, there's just been continual advances in the technology to improve the efficiency of the procedure and, and uh, make it simpler. And so it takes less expertise to achieve a successful outcome.
0: Yeah, I hadn't realized it started so early. I was I was in the impression it was sort of like the mid yeah, 1950s or something. Yeah, no, it's 1919 it, 50s.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, these people were pretty visionary at the time, and you know, there was something we forget, especially I think being reproductive biologists and so immersed in reproduction. Uh, for a lot of people, I mean, reproduction is you know. I guess it is for me too, but like a miraculous thing, and not to be tampered with.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised the early ones had second thoughts. It must have been pretty incredible back in the early days.
3: Yeah, there was a lot of public opposition. Yeah. Okay, nice to hear
1: all those. So then, can you tell us mm-hmm. about the? You tell us about the successes. What about the failures?
3: Oh, there were tremendous failures. I mean. In, In livestock and cattle, especially, uh, they could do surgical embryo transfer fairly easy. But when they started doing non surgical approaches, they continually caused uterine infections in the female. And it it took a long time before they overcame that problem. So, you know, beginning about the early 70s uh, is when non surgical transfer became possible. And then, you know, what really made assisted reproduction explode in livestock was, say, different than what made it explode in humans. I mean, in humans, ART is a technique to solve problems of infertility. And as more and more women in developed societies delayed child rearing, Uh, artificial reproduction can be an important tool for fertility preservation. But in cattle, the fertility to embryo transfer is no greater in most cases, except for maybe heat stress, than for other techniques. What's really driven the explosion in assisted reproduction in livestock is the advances in genetics. You know, it, it used to be that you could easily identify the best bull, because with artificial insemination, each bull produced hundreds of offspring, and you could measure those offspring, see who was the best bull. But a cow only produces one offspring a year. So really, we never knew who the best cow was. So there wasn't really much reason to do embryo transfers and genetic selection tool, because we didn't really know who was the best cow. But In 2009, the first commercial SNP chip was released for genetic evaluation of economic traits in cattle. So that chip made it possible to identify the best female with almost as much accuracy as the best male. And so there became a big motivation to produce multiple offspring from those best females, and now that's kind of routinely incorporated in dairy breeds in uh, most of the world. The herds that are involved in producing elite livestock, they're all using assisted reproduction. You know, rather than a cow producing one offspring a year, with assisted reproduction, a Holstein, you know, can probably produce let's say 10 embryos a month, 120 embryos a year. And if you had a 40% pregnancy rate, you're talking maybe 30 offspring a year. That's still nothing compared to the bull, but it gives people who use that technique a competitive advantage in producing genetically elite offspring. So that's really what's driven the increase in use of, especially in vitro fertilization.
0: Yeah. So going back, like you said, the early ones were in like the 1930s before the, they got the genetics of the cow. How, when did it sort of first become really popular to use for like a lot of the agricultural industry?
3: Yeah. So um, AI, you know, probably started in 1900, but didn't really become a big, important technique until we could learn how to freeze semen. You know, they they used to talk Mm -hmm. about like the flying sperm bank because people would have to fly semen around from farm to farm to do AI, which wasn't very practical. But Polge, again at Cambridge, developed procedures for freezing semen. So that revolutionized AI, especially in the dairy industry where, you know, it's a lot easier to do AI than in the beef industry where cattle are pretty remote oftentimes. So, but embryo transfer has, you know, it's been a great marketing tool. My cows are all produced by embryo transfer; they must be better. But, but I would say, you know, it didn't have much impact really on the on the breed or on the national herd until it was coupled (laughs) with with genomics in two thousand nine, and the number of people doing it. I'm making these numbers up a little bit, but probably in the 70s, a producer who was using embryo transfer, you know, maybe they'd produce 100 embryos a year, 200 embryos a year. There's probably uh, dairy producers in the United States producing 10,000 embryos a year using IVF. Yeah. So, and, and why is he doing that? Because he's trying to produce the best bull or the best cow to sell to a bull stud or to some other genetic breeding organization. And if he uses selection on the female side, he'll be at an advantage. You know, with genetics, it's really amazing. You know, it used to be, we didn't know who the best bull was till he was about five years old when all his offspring had produced milk. Now we know when he's born because we can do genomics. And in fact, you can do amniocentesis and know before he's born. And you can actually do genomics on the blastocyst. You know, you can take a biopsy of 10 cells. You don't get all the SNPs that you get with the larger DNA sample, but it's pretty accurate. So theoretically, and I think a few people do this, you can uh, get an estimate of the genetic merit of the embryo. There's a little trick with that. The groups that calculate, that use genomic information to calculate the genetic merit of an animal, they only run those national evaluations about every 30 days or every 40 days, something like that. So if I took a sample of DNA today, I could get the SNP results this afternoon, but those wouldn't be compared to all the other cattle in the country except for every 30 or 40 days. So you have to transfer the embryo before you know its genomic value, or you have to freeze it and then wait until the genomics is run before determining whether to transfer it or not. And one problem with IVF embryos (coughs) are a little abnormal, right? Pregnancy rate's a little bit lower than an embryo produced in vivo. And especially, they don't freeze very well. They probably Mm -hmm. accumulate too much lipid and have other changes that make them not freeze as well.
1: So to add to that one, using these genomic techniques, so their combination with... uh, artificial well in vitro produced embryos or embryo transfer from uh, ovum pickup which one will have got the biggest impact
3: so I mean yeah there's two general ways that embryos are made commercially the one which is the original one is to treat females with FSH and grow up a large wave of follicles and when those Follicles ovulate. Instead of getting one embryo, you get somewhere between zero embryos and maybe twenty. That was the predominant method up until probably till genomics. So the advantage of that method is the competence of those embryos to establish pregnancy is really high. You know, they're almost like the gold standard embryos. The problem with it is. Giving cows FSH kind of screws up their ovaries a little bit, makes them refractory to another round of FSH. So you can only do it about every couple months. And of course, the cow can't get pregnant when she's going through repeated rounds of superovulation. And it's highly variable. I mean, you can get 20 embryos or you can get no embryos. So the advantage, so when IVF first came out, nobody liked it because it was more expensive. You needed more training. You needed a big lab, but also the pregnancy rates were lower than, uh, with the superovulated embryos, the embryos didn't freeze very well. So nobody liked IVF, but you can do IVF every two weeks (laughs) and you can do IVF when the cow is pregnant. You can do IVF when the cow is a heifer before she's even pubertal. So once genomics came about and there was this tremendous pressure to generate calves from elite females, you know, let's say you produce five transferable embryos per ovum pickup procedure. And you do that 26 times a year you have a 100 embryos from an individual cow where you could never get there with superovulation. So that's kind of made IVF become, I think there's the International Embryo Transfer Society or International Embryo Technology Society, as we call it now. They ask people, how many embryos did you transfer? And they have a whole series of volunteers around the world to estimate the number of embryos transferred every year. There's there's no government organization that does that. And so it's probably underestimated. But there's about, I think in 2019, the last year it was measured, about 800,000 in vitro produced embryos transferred in cows in the world. And about 300,000 uh, embryos produced by superovulation. So the IVF embryo is now the major embryo. If you had done that in 2000, the numbers would be lower, and by far the superovulated embryo would be the main one. So genomics is, you know, what's changed the the game. And if you look at other species, it's it's almost insignificant. Think. I have the numbers in front of me. I didn't memorize these. Horses, 27,000 in the whole world. Uh, Sheep, 22,000 and 7,000 goats. So even if that's an underestimate by a large amount, it's still a -hmm. small Mm -hmm. number. And what's the difference? There's no genomics
0: You talk a lot about the genomics in terms of like a good female and a good male. What about the uterine environment? Does that not seem to have much of an impact in terms of good quality calves?
3: That's a great question. So, you know, I am not interested in embryo transfer as a genetic tool. I mean, I recognize that's why it's become such a major commercial tool, but I'm interested in fertility of females So studying the in vitro produced embryo lets me understand, yeah, what is it about the uterus that promotes embryonic development and embryonic survival? So in terms of the success of embryo transfer, there's probably more variation in between cows in their ability to support an embryo than there is between embryos. Somebody from Australia estimated that one time. So, I mean, you can question the numbers. It wasn't a large study. But he estimated, uh, McMillan up in Queensland, about 70% of cow embryos produced by superovulation have it within themselves to survive to term. Maybe 60% of in vitro produced embryos. But only forty to fifty percent of cows have the ability to inherent ability, at least in that cycle, to maintain an embryo. So I I'm interested in the embryo because I want to understand regulatory molecules produced by the cow and it's uterus that regulate embryonic development, not just to make a better embryo for transfer, but to learn something that I can apply to all cows or all females.
0: And that concludes part one. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time in part two as we learn more about how the use of genomics has revolutionized the field and what the future holds for ART technologies.
2: This
1: music is produced by Buck Hills and the Pura Pell.
2: I'm not a fun time. 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 i